0: Log Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors This week's special guest will join us a bit later, but first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel.
1: All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show, as always, for you. We're going to be starting things off here in just a moment uh, with another great discussion on Coach's Corner, and I'll be joined by my very special panelists this evening, a uh, good friend of mine and uh, been doing this show for quite a number of years now, so I'm excited to have him on uh, whenever I get the chance. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by a very special guest, John Gowdy. He is the National Programs Director uh, of the On Course Foundation, which is a 501-501-3C uh, uh, foundation helping uh, many of our wounded veterans in that. And we'll talk about... Uh, some of the things that their great organization does a little bit later on in the broadcast. But thank you, everybody, for joining me. And as we roll into the early part, very early part of uh, what is often referred to as the Indian summer, we're almost there, got a little bit longer to go. We still got a little bit more summer technically uh, before we hit fall. But uh, I've noticed, um, I was just up in Chattanooga here recently and noticing some of the leaves uh, slowly starting to change. So we're getting ready for that autumn season. But I've got a great show for you. I want to thank you all for tuning in. And I'm going to introduce uh, tonight's special guest joining me on the panel, of course, uh, become a good friend, John Decker. He is the director of instruction at the Medallion Club in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, He's also a senior editor and top 25 instructor at Golf Tips magazine. And he was named in 2015 the Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year, uh, authored the book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which of course includes a Bible study and is also available in audio uh, version as well. And he'll tell you a little bit about that uh, later. Uh, in the show and he's also available as a public speaker so if you're interested again we'll give you that information as we uh, uh, move along and uh, you can reach out to him and uh, maybe get him to come and speak at uh, your event so um, without further ado let me welcome my good friend John Decker. John, welcome to Coach's Corner. Thank you, Ted, for
2: having me on tonight. I'm looking forward to the show.
1: All right, appreciate it. Um, Always glad to have you on, and I think we, uh, we always manage to hold down the fort and uh, do a good job, so we'll try to do that tonight. All right, we're going to talk about, um, then we're going to get a little more in-depth into our discussion. We've talked a lot about uh, a lot of ways in the, in, you know, over the last several shows about how to really prepare, um, whether it be with uh, our, our fundamentals and, and uh, ball striking and that sort of thing. Uh, But tonight we're going to talk about a number of ways to improve your course strategy, which ultimately is going to help lower your scoring average. Um, So I'm going to read something out here, uh, just sort of put some notes together, and then we'll get into tonight's discussion. So whenever we, and when I say we, I'm referring to those in the uh, teacher profession, give a playing lesson, uh, particularly with a new student, and they're asked about their targets and shot selection it often becomes very clear that they're losing several shots each round due to poor course strategy. Um, The good news about this, though, is that it becomes a very easy way to shave uh, shots off their score almost immediately by learning uh, some of the things we're going to talk about. And and if you watch how tour players successfully plot their way around the uh, golf course, they tend to maximize their scoring opportunities while at the same time limiting uh, their mistakes. Uh, They certainly do miss their targets uh, more than what we would think. We Obviously, if you're watching on TV, uh, you're only seeing the edited versions. Uh, But their misses are usually very good, and their shot selection and targets they pick gives them the best chance of getting up and down and ruling out those big numbers. So um, what I want to do, John, is put together some things that people might need to know um, and we're going to go through a bunch, and there's, there's 10 of them all together, and we'll try to get through all of them if we can, but uh, if not, uh, I may pick them up uh, next week. But So here's uh, some things that folks might need to know, and the first one I think is an important one, is, and that is that you need to know your distances. And maybe you can explain a little bit what we're talking about. Obviously, you know what we're talking about, but let's sort of make it a little bit clearer uh, for uh, our listeners is what are we talking about knowing our distances?
2: Well, Ted, first of all, thank you again for having me on the show, and I look forward to 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 tonight's discussion. Um, uh, This is a great point that you're bringing up because one of the most common mistakes that I see out on the golf course when doing playing lessons or playing in pro-ams is the majority of people come up short. Uh, They come up Mm -hmm. short of the green. Uh, They they typically don't miss over the green. Uh, It's typically short, and the reason is, because they're trying to hit clubs to their maximum uh, ability. So, for example, if a student can hit his 7-iron uh, maybe at its maximum, like a perfect shot goes 150 yards, it may go 140 yards in the air and maybe 10 yards on the ground. Um, that's, that's kind of their maximum distance. Uh, and then they get out on the golf course and they have a 150-yard shot over water, and they go, well, I can hit it 150 yards and then they hit the ball into the water. And we see this all the time. And this happens to good Mm -hmm. players as well. Uh, And, and, uh, you know, sometimes the wind and lies and conditions can affect it. But if you're always playing to maximize your – to a maximum with your distances, you're going to come up short a lot because you're just not going to hit every shot perfectly. No one does. The best ball strikers in the world miss hit balls. And and when I'm swinging really well – I will tend to push clubs to their limits, but when i 'm not swinging well, the first thing I do is take more club and i would I would recommend that the average golfer take a little more club coming into greens, now, obviously, if the trouble's long you don't want to do that, but in most cases, you want to have the the the, the extra club so that you can make sure and get the ball to the green uh, and get it up on the green so that's that would be a, something um, that's important, knowing your carry distance is critical uh, and that's one of the things I love for the as we transition into the winter months for those of you who out there who can't play golf year-round and you have a lot of idle time uh, you know the indoor simulators if you go to top Golf and mm-hmm. some of these places you can start learning your carry distance and that to me is what really matters how far your ball carries in the air because you know the way American golf courses are built there's a lot of force carries. There's bunkers. There's water. There's all kind of hazards out there. So we want to make sure that we have a a, a a club in our hand when we're hitting into the greens, that we know that we can carry to the green. And then another important thing is knowing your distance to the front of the green is really critical because the average golfer cannot spin the ball like a tour player. They don't hit like a tour player will hit a shot, and it'll take one bounce and it'll stop and sometimes back up depending on what club they have. The average golfer hits their ball on the front of the green and the ball releases because they just can't get enough spin. Maybe they're playing a harder golf ball. Maybe they don't have the club head speed to get the spin on it. And so um, you need to know the front of the green, what that distance is. And that's where the laser, you know, I have the Bushnell, and that that thing is amazing. I I can shoot it to the front of the green. I can shoot it to the back of the green. Wherever the trouble is, I can know that distance so that I know that when I hit my shot, I've got enough to carry that because that's a number one most important thing when you're hitting shots into the greens is carry, being able to carry the ball over the trouble and get it on the green.
1: Yeah, and that's some some great uh, points that you made. Um, and, and just to sort of add to it, you know, with, especially as you said, coming into sort of for, for most, not everybody, certainly obviously here in the southeast and, and southwest, uh, certain areas like Arizona and that where you can play golf pretty much all year round, um, it's not as big of a deal. Um, so, but when you've got an off-season, rather than just sitting there for four or five, even six months, get out to a, a local facility, whether it's a top golf or whether it's some other indoor facility that uh, has simulators. Most of them are equipped with some form of a launch monitor, uh, whether it be TrackMan, flight scope or something built into the, to the simulators, and get out there and hit some shots. Um, and do it with each club. Get an idea of what your carry is, uh, and they are amazingly accurate. Um, and the same thing is that if you have the ability and you've got one or one somebody in your group, uh, rangefinder as well, know the distances to uh, your targets, to trouble, and that sort of thing when you're on the golf course. And if it's a course that you play fairly regularly, uh, you can make notes um, in there as well that there's a bunker here, there's a bunker there, whatever the case may be. And you're exactly right. This is what I think we all as uh, instructors find. Um, with a lot of students is that they they f- pick a, whatever club it happens to be um, at the moment and, and in the case you mentioned the seven iron, you know, if it is 150 yards and their carry is 140 and they got a 10, uh, roughly a 10 yard roll, um, that might be one out of seven or eight shots. The other shots with that same club, the same scenario, uh, 50% of those might only go 130 yards or 125 yards. Um, so you're exactly right if there's trouble and, and so forth. So it's extremely important to know your distances with each club and to periodically update that. Uh, you know, Each season, go through the bag again and try to, uh, because, again, as we age and you know, our, our bodies change, uh, those distances are going to decrease a little bit each season. So it's good to, to top that up. And that's something, if you're not sure of how to do it or or the best way, that's something you can work with your pro. So uh, great points uh, on that, and I just wanted to add a a couple of things. The other one, too, the the second one is, uh, John, that we see is, that I think is also important besides distances, is to know your shot dispersion. So in other words, essentially, uh, how far left and right of your intended target, long and short, so that you get an idea. And, And again, using that technology, we can find uh, so maybe you might want to touch on that as well because that's that's kind of what you touched on a little bit uh, with your last statements, but maybe you could expand a little bit more about what we're referring to here.
2: That's a great point. Knowing your ball flight, your shot dispersion, you'll you'll find uh, for the average golfer, for a tour player, um, it's a lot easier for me to hit a, a sand wedge or a lob wedge and have very little dispersion right or left of my target. I might miss it, maybe three or four yards to the right, you know, or three or four yards to the left, and and you start averaging that out and you say, okay, I've I've got a six-yard area here where I'm I'm hitting my shots, you know, or 15 or 20 feet that I'm going to miss it. So when I'm hitting a wedge into a green, I can be a little more aggressive. I can take more of a direct line uh, at the flag. Now, I don't always uh, aim at the flag. I typically aim to the right or left depending on the situation. But – but I know that I can be a little bit more aggressive. As I start transitioning into my middle irons, now I've got to allow for a bigger dispersion area because if, if, if I went and hit uh, seven irons um, in uh, a simulator and hit for maybe 20 balls, you're going to see an average of, okay, how far my, my carry distance is, how far my total distance is, and you're going to start seeing some shot patterns. Typically, I like to hit a shot that goes right to left, a little bit of a draw. And so you'll see, um, you know, some of my shots will miss more to the left. Some of my shots might miss a little bit to the right. As I transition to my longer clubs, that dispersion increases even more. And so that's why it's important when you're going with longer clubs that you be a lot more from a course management standpoint. You're not thinking about the flagstick. I've always said once I get to about a, a, a six iron, my main focus is the middle of the green. Once I get into my middle to, you know, if, that, if the pan happens to be in the middle, that's great. I don't, when I'm have when I have a four iron or a five iron in my hand, I'm not flag hunting. I'm trying to hit it in the middle of the green, the safest, biggest, widest part of the green. Uh, and, and, you know, there's very few situations where you're going to get in trouble hitting to the middle of the green. So, um, you know, that's that's a, something that's very important. And then as I start getting into, my longer clubs, like my hybrids and my fairway woods, now my dispersion really is going to be, uh, I'm going to have a large dispersion area where where my miss to the right could be, you know, 10 or 15 yards to the right, and then to the left it could be 15 or 20 yards to the left or whatever. You know, I, when I have that big of a dispersion, I just make sure I aim at the middle of the green or I play to a safe bailout area where I'm going away from the trouble. So if the trouble is on the left, I'll bail out to the right mm-hmm. and then try to use my short game to score. I'm not thinking about, you know, going for the flag unless it, the flag just happens to be in the middle of the green or, or I just happen to hit a really good shot. So um, knowing and understanding that when you go with more loft, you're going to have less dispersion. When you go with less loft, you're going to have more dispersion. Um, I think that's uh, very important in your course management skills.
1: Yeah, and and again, knowing, um, understanding the ball flight, understanding the distances uh, is is important, but also equally important, uh, another point, uh, point three, is uh, knowing the good and bad misses, which you kind of touched a little bit on that. So knowing where you can't go on a hole is not necessarily a negative thing. It's really part of good course strategy. So as you said, if there's trouble on one area um, and you don't want to obviously be hitting towards the trouble, you want to keep the ball away from it. Uh, allowing your short game to to maybe uh, get it up, uh, you know, get up and down. And some people like to do, and this is an interesting, some people use this as a strategy. Um, They imagine sort of uh, three possible pin locations to formulate the strategy. And based on those uh, pin positions, uh, some of the students might have um, similar to a traffic stop, which is a red, amber, or green. So if it's a green, um, they're going to go for it. Uh, If it's an amber Um, again depending on their level of play they may be moderately aggressive but not overly aggressive and if it's red they're going to play very conservative like you said bail out in an area so um, I think knowing the good and bad misses is 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 equally as important as some of the other things your thoughts
2: yes I think that's um, that's important and I think that you know a lot of that when you're looking um, like when I play in tournaments they give us a pin sheet you know so when I'm playing certain holes, um, I'm looking at the, at the pin sheet. Now the rangefinders have made it to where the pin sheets are are not nearly as important as they used to be when I was younger. I mean those you you were really studying those pin sheets. Now the lasers just make it so much easier, uh, and, and it makes the makes the speeds up the game a lot. So for everyone out there, I highly recommend that you get some sort of rangefinder. You're gonna it's really gonna help you understanding how. Um, you know, to to set up and know where the trouble is and, and try to avoid the trouble. Avoiding the trouble, and I, I like what you said earlier, it's not a negative thought, but the first thing I ask myself when I, hit, when I set up to any shot is, where can I not go? You know, if I stand up on the tee box and there's out of bounds on the right, I know I cannot go right, so I have to avoid the right side. Um, I have to tee it up on the right side. I have to hit away from the out of bounds. Uh, when I'm hitting into the greens, if there's a, a pond in front of the green, I know I can't be short. I know I have to take extra club. I know I have to to be smart from that standpoint. So um, knowing where to miss and how to get it around the golf course, and I have played with so many players uh, through the years who, who are not striking it well. You can tell they're not they're not on their game, but they know how to get it around. They know how to manage their game, and at the end of the day, you're go, you're like how in the world did that guy or, or girl shoot that score? And they really didn't have their A game. They really didn't hit a lot of greens in regulation, but they managed their game, and that's that's uh, that's the experience, knowing what you can and can't do, and that's uh, one of the beauties of the game of golf. And and this is
1: just to to add this in here. And I know we'll probably touch on it again. Uh, this is why practice and practicing with a purpose. Is so important. Just going up and hitting balls, uh, sort of willy nilly, is is not very effective practice. So this is an opportunity during your practice sessions, not just not a warm up before you go out to to play. That's entirely different. But I'm saying if you're going up to the range and you're trying to work on some things, get some kinks out of your your swing or whatnot. One of the things you need to do is work on some of the things that we talked about. Another one um, that I think it falls in line with, um, you know, trying to Affect our, our core strategy is that is the ability to get the ball into the scoring zone. So what do I mean by that? Uh, as an example, let's say um, when it comes, we'll we'll attack the green here as an example. But you know, let's say you're a very good putter from within ten feet. So you know that anytime you go for a green, that if your ball comes in within ten feet, the likelihood of success of you sinking that putt or certainly. Uh, having an ideal outcome with the with the putt um, is is part of the scoring zone. Same thing uh, when you're hitting it into the fairway. Getting it into a position that you know is going to give you the best opportunity to go for the green or to get on the right side of the fairway um, to avoid as much trouble as possible. So I think getting to the ball into the scoring zone uh, is um, another part of the, the core strategy. Any, anything you want to add?
2: You're exactly right, Ted. The um, you know statistics uh, basically on the PGA Tour uh, say that if you look at the proximity of the hole, the, the players who are typically playing well, um, they are they are hitting the ball close to the hole, and that is um, it's not rocket science. But if I miss the green, if I can chip it up there a foot or two from the from the hole, I, I'm going to suddenly become a really good putter. Uh, if I chip it by uh, you know 25 or 30 feet. Uh, and now I have a chance. The best I'm probably going to do is a two putt, and who knows I'm going to could possibly three putt. Um, and that, that just kills your confidence. Uh, you know, I've always felt like when my short game is on, uh, my scoring uh, I, I feel so much more confident out in the fairway because I know if I miss the green, I'll get it up and down. When my short game's off, it puts more pressure on me to hit it close to the hole because I know that my short game's not on, or for whatever, or if your putting's not on you feel like, man, I've really got to hit this close. I, I'm not making anything. So, um, you know, the, that's kind of the psychology part of the game. But I agree 100% mm-hmm. is, is learning how to, um, you know, get your approach shots closer to the hole, learning how to chip and putt, uh, getting the ball closer to the hole um, can really save you shots. And, you know, it, 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 they add up fast when you, when you can't do those skills. So, um, you know, that's uh, that's very important. So proximity to the hole is something I put a lot of emphasis on in my practice.
1: Right. And number five, and this is one that I guarantee most people don't even think about, um, and that is knowing how lie, how the lie of the ball affects distance. Uh, So, for instance, if the ball is above your feet, maybe it's on a hill, uh, or if it's below your feet or on a downslope, upslope, what have you, uh, if you're, you're always obviously, as we know, John, we're, we're not always going to get a perfect lie out there um, as we do on the driving range. So you have to understand just because you're carrying, as we pointed out earlier with that seven iron, let's say your your maximum distance is 150 yards, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that every shot that you have is going to co- go close to that because again, depending on the lie, it's going to affect that. So uh, any thoughts here that you want to uh, address?
2: Yes, I, I go over this a lot with my students, and I talk about the difference between loss and effective loss. And what I mean by that is, is when you're around the greens, for example, and you have the wedge, let's say that you are you miss a green and you're on an upslope, okay? And let's say that there's you don't have a lot of green to work with. Um, you know, one of the things I, t- I say to my students is, is when you set up and you put that 60-degree wedge down, it is no longer a 60-degree wedge because you're on that upslope. It's like a 64. On the other hand, if I'm on a downslope, that 60 is no longer a 60. It's a 56. So a lot of times I will, in situations where if it was a level lie, I say to myself, well, I would normally hit a a 56 here, okay? I'm going to carry the ball maybe 20 feet in the air, and I'm going to have about 20 feet of green to work with. So I'm going to go with my 56, but I'm on a down slope. And because I'm on a down slope, that 56 is no longer a 56, it's a 52. So I'll pull my 60 out, set up, get my shoulders with the slope, and now my 60 is a 56. So learning the difference between loft and effective loft, and think about it, excuse me, greens are not designed to be flat, and the areas around the greens are not going to be flat. If you miss the green, it's not going to be very, very rarely are you going to have a perfectly level lie. So you need to, when you miss the green and you're in your cart, and and you don't just don't just assume, oh, it's going to be my 60. Grab your 60 and your putter and then get over there and go, wow, I'm on an upslope. This is, you know, I, I need to have a less lofted, lofted club here. When I go, a lot of times when I miss, I'm always grabbing my 52, my 56, and my 60. A lot of times. Now, there's some times where it's just clear cut. I can see I've got to hit a flop shot over a bunker or something like that. That's totally different. But if I get a, if I have some green to work with and I can see my balls maybe not on a – is on a down slope or an up slope, I usually take a couple of clubs over there. That way I'm covered because the last thing you want to do is get over there and say, oh, well, I don't have the right club. I'll just make this one work. That doesn't work. Right. That mindset, right. I've already learned that. That just does not work. You will always hit a bad shot in that situation because you know in your mind you have the wrong club so um you know that's one of the things i think that tour players one of the great advantages they have was the caddy is right there with them with the bag and so they never have to worry about doing something like that that would be a foolish mistake especially at that level so it's an, it's, yeah, uh, it's uh it's important to to know the difference between the loft and the effective loft
1: yeah and a lot of times we'll see on the pro tours we'll see the player you know pull out one club and they're taking some practice swings and you can almost see the wheels going and they're saying, no, that's not the right club. They'll throw that back in and they'll pull out their next one. Well, a lot of cases when you're playing, we don't have the the advantage in a lot of courses to have a caddy. Uh, so maybe we're pulling, uh, you know, a club out of the bag that we think. And, you know, if, it's, uh, if you're playing with a buddy uh, and you're sharing a golf cart, he's zoomed off to where his ball is. Uh, you may need a seven iron or a six iron. And you, for some reason, have pulled out the eight or the nine iron. Um, you've now underclubbed, and you're in a position where, again, you're trying to finagle some shot uh, and pull off some shot uh, in order to make do because you have made a a poor club selection. So, um, you know, knowing the the distances and that, again, is important, and particularly when you get an uneven lie like that. Another one, too, uh, and this is one, uh, our good buddy Clint Wright, who's been on here, and he's, uh, really good with the short games. Talked a lot about this over the years. And, and another mistake that he often sees, and he talks about, is uh, especially on short par fours and, and certainly par fives, is a lot of players try to hit the ball down as far the hole, uh, down the hole as far as possible. So, for an example, uh, you know they hit a pretty decent drive. They're in the fairway. They've got 230, 240 yards to the green. They're reaching for their three wood, uh, you know, maybe to approach that par five. And depending on their level, that may not be the best choice. So, what you need to know is what your favorite uh, favorite yardage uh, wedge yardage is. So, uh, as an example, if you're hitting that three wood and you get down, and the person, you know, you might ask them and say, well, you know, why you choose that? Well, I want to get down close to the green as possible, um, which sounds good, but now maybe you're stuck with a half wedge or a third wedge shot, which is not comfortable in your wheelhouse. Whereas if you laid up a little bit and left yourself that hundred yards, which is maybe what your ideal wedge yardage is, now you can hit a full shot in there with confidence as opposed to trying to manufacture something. So again, this is another area that I think a lot of people miss the boat on, is they're trying to pull off these hero shots and figuring, well, if I just get down to the green as close as possible, that's going to put me in a good position. But sometimes that actually has the reverse effect, right? I think Johnny, you with me?
2: I'm sorry, Ted. Yes, I am. I forgot nope. <laughs> to take it off the mute. Sorry about that. No, not- uh, you're exactly right. <laughs> I've, I've been on. I've been on with Ted uh, with uh, with Clint many times, and and Clint is uh, always talking about that third shot, uh, you know, and yeah. how important that is. And and I call it the. I don't call it. The, I don't market it kind of the way he does. I call it the go your go to shot. Um, and that is you need to have one go-to wedge distance that you just love. And there's certain yardages that I really love. And, and so I will always try to lay, to, lay up to that distance. And, and a lot of times you're not laying up, you're laying back. So you're laying back to a distance that, that where you can give yourself a nice full swing um, or maybe a three-quarter swing if you prefer to hit a three-quarter shot. Uh, but it's a, it's a distance that you feel comfortable with. If you were to get in a simulator and know that you could get it on the green, maybe, you know, seven, eight out of 10 times, that's, that's, uh, you know, uh, very realistic for the average golfer that, that would be very good Um, and give yourself an opportunity to make a birdie or make a par, depending on the situation. So that yard, that yardage is important. Now, if you're going to be a better player, if you're like a really good high school player or collegiate player, or you want to play professionally, you need to have several yardages that are go-to yardages because, you know, my go-to yardage, like I really like 115 yards. Well, there may be some fairway bunkers at 115 yards. So that's not an area where I need to be laying up to. I need to either go over that and get closer to the green, or I need to lay back even more and and, and avoid those fairway bunkers. So um, I also like, you know, 65 yards. That's a yardage mm-hmm. that that I like. Um, and I like also um, you know eighty five yards. So I've kind of got my my yardages, you know sixty five, eighty five and and one fifteen. Those are kind of my yardages where I prefer to be. If I get in between those, then I have to make decisions based on you know, and that's where the course management comes in. But if you're really um, you know you're really playing well and you and you're smart about what you do in your in your, on the par fives and on the long par fours, is, uh, you know, laying, up to, laying back to those yardages, you're going to do much better. And, and if you can't, if you're, if you're a high handicapper, you're going to, you know, let's say that you're a 25-handicap player, you need to really learn to have one wedge or nine iron, whatever it is that you really like, sand wedge, and really practice that because you're going to have a lot of those as your third shot. You're going to hit your drive out there. You're not going to be able to get it to the green. Instead of trying to hit a three wood and get your, give yourself 40 yards from the green, why don't you lay it back to a hundred yards? Maybe that yardage is the yardage you really like and, and try to play with a hybrid or some sort of iron to get you to a hundred yards and then knock your third shot on. And If you can do that, mm-hmm. you're, you're putting for par. If you can two putt, you're, you're making a bogey and guess what? Now you're going to be an 18 handicapper, you know, if you do that for long enough. So learning core strategy and and just you know having the discipline to do that and not feel like you have to pull your three wood out and try to hang with guys that are and girls that are maybe better players learning to have that discipline will save you a lot of shots you know i've played with people uh, most recently i can think of when i went to pinehurst uh and
1: uh, you know i was obviously i went by myself for uh other for other reasons and um when I got there, of course, I was put in with uh, a couple of groups over the over the time. And, you know, it was interesting to watch each person play. Um, fortunately, I was with a lot of really good golfers, so, um, you know, I was able to see some, some good golf shots. Um, but it was interesting, the styles, because there were some that would just sort of, you know, do what we just talked about, you know, try to get down there as far as possible. And then there were others that were a little more methodical. There were some that they were good ball strikers. They could hit a good shot, but you could see them really working the strategy out and thinking to themselves, okay, yeah, I can hit that green from here, but there's some trouble around. Um, I'm going to have to really step on that, that fairway wood, so I'm going to lay up. And some people hate that word, but I, I like that word under certain circumstances. They're laying up to that favorite you know, wedge shot, as we put it. Um, and it was very interesting to watch them because, as you know, uh, Pinehurst ha- has some challenges, especially on number two, uh, but they're all difficult. But uh, number two, you've got some very undulating greens, uh, more so than normal. And, you know, you have to make sure that you're coming in with a high enough shot that you're going to be able to stop it. Because one of the things that I found, which surprised me, um, and this was in May when I went, so, you know, conditions weren't as, as, uh, quite as difficult because, you know, we're still early in the season. Um, but if you come in with a longer iron, um, you had a tough time holding that green. Uh, So, you know, you had to, strategy really played a part in there, not just whether you can hit the ball well. So, you know, again, sometimes you have to sort of work your way back from the green and think about how to get to your favorite yardage and what angle you'd like to play from that next shot. So don't just get there and bomb it off the tee uh, and and getting out there necessarily as far as you want, because sometimes that may not be the best strategy. So you have to really think about that. The next one, which is number seven, and this is one really uh, certainly he didn't put it in this way, but this is one that I've heard Nicholas talk about. Uh, you know, Quite often he would say in interviews that there were certain courses that did not fit his eye. So in his case, he was happy if he could just make par and, and move on to the next hole. Um, he was obviously a fader of the ball. That was his favorite uh, shot, and uh, he liked to hit that high fade. Um, but if there was a hole that required a, a draw, um, that was not something that he was as comfortable. Not saying he couldn't do it, but that was not in his comfortable wheelhouse. So a lot of times he would play uh, to his game and knowing the holes where a a bogey in some cases. now he certainly wasn't going for a bogey, is an acceptable score. So uh, again, you know, I think knowing ahead of time, especially if you play a course fairly regularly, I think knowing which holes more than likely you're not going to shoot the best score up front can help you strategize a little bit better and make for making matters worse. What do you think?
2: Yes, I, I think uh, when you look at any diff- any golf course that you play, most every golf course that you're going to play, there's going to be one or two or maybe seven or eight holes that just don't fit your eye. That just and We all have that where we play a certain course and we go, I love that course, but that number four or whatever hole it is, you know, just always seems to get you. Um, and so what you have to do is you have to, if you're a, I'm going to go back to the average golfer out there. Let's say that you're a, you're an 18 handicapper. What you have to do is is you have to, before you play, is you have to put a dot on every hole. And that's just like if you were playing in a tournament, a member guest tournament, and you get shots. And if it's a difficult par four, you have to tell yourself, I'm not playing a par four, I'm playing a par five. Because you're an 18 handicapper. You're essentially getting one shot a hole. And that strategy can really help you because if you think about that, if I put somebody on a 125-yard par three and I told, tell them, you get a shot here, this is a par four, all of a sudden that seems really easy. If, you, if you're think, mentally, it, it seems much easier knowing, hey, if I can get this in the hole in four shots, then I make a par. If I get it in the hole in three shots, I make a birdie. That mentality will loosen you up. Won't put so much pressure on yourself. I think that a lot of times when people get on these difficult holes, and most of your difficult holes are going to be the last holes on each of your nine. So especially on 18. Very rarely you going to is number 18 going to be an easy hole. Now St. Andrews is is an example. Is a birdie hole that you know that's, the guys can drive the greens. But but most of your 18 the 18th hole is going to be your difficult. A lot of people are going to get two shots. A lot of the listeners out there are going to get possibly two if they were to go use this strategy. So, you know, if you if you have a club that you know that say I can't my driver's not my favorite club. I don't like to look at this hole. I'm going to hit a hybrid off the tee and I'm going to, and once you hit that hybrid out there, uh, you can actually then hit another shot down the fairway and now you're at zero. Now you're you're essentially that's your tee shot you haven't even hit a tee shot yet if you're getting two shots there if you're getting one shot then you lie one so it's it just frees up the mind it allows you to play smart to play within yourself and obviously the better you get as a player the fewer shots you're going to get but uh for the average golfer out there that strategy will really help them on the course
1: yeah i couldn't agree more Uh, And another one, too, that sort of falls in line with with number seven uh, is number eight, of course, uh, is knowing when to take your medicine. Uh, Again, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but, you know, there's going to be some of those days that, that, you know, too many golfers take on too much risk when they're out of uh, position. So, uh, you know, on those days that you have sort of your B or C game, uh, which, of course, happens to all of us, it doesn't mean that you have to score badly. So those rounds... Uh, where you aren't in control of the golf ball or not uh, the time to be uh, it certainly is not the time to be taking on risky shots so when you're out of position select shots that are going to get you back into play with a chance to score so uh, again sometimes john we got to take our lumps right
2: absolutely and and the, the best way to um kind of equate this is is a simple way to think about this and i try to emphasize this to all my students but when you hit a bad shot, the most important decision that you're going to make on a golf course is after a bad shot. It's, it's, it's easy to make good decisions when you're in the fairway or when you're on the green. I mean, you, you know, anyone can make a bad decision. I'm not saying you can't mess up. But, but when you're in the fairway and when you're on the green, uh, it, it, life is a lot easier on the golf course. When you get in the trees, when you get up under the lip of a bunker, uh, like a fairway bunker, um, when you get um, in an area where you don't have much of a backswing and you don't know whether you should take an unplayable or whether you should try to hit a hero shot through the trees, uh, when you get situations like that, um, your decision is really going to dictate everything. And if you if you make a good decision, and typically for the average golfer out there and even for the tour players, the best decision that you can make is to go the most conservative route possible. That is what I recommend. If, if it means taking an unplayable lie and getting out from underneath the trees, then take the unplayable lie. If it means you're in a fairway bunker and you've got to play out sideways, play out sideways. If it means, um, you know, you're, you're under a tree and you've got, you can play out to 100 yards, which is your, your go-to yardage, or you can try to hit a low running shot through the rough and knock it on the green, uh, you may want to play it out to your favorite yardage, because whenever you get over a shot, I've done this before. Where I get over a shot, and I I say to myself, this is not smart. I can't believe I'm trying this shot. If you're in the, ever in that situation, stop, reevaluate the situation, and and just remember that you can always take an unplayable. Uh, an unplayable is allows you to either you can you can uh, you know take your two club links. Uh, you can keep the point between where you are and the hole and walk back and go back maybe you can go back 150 yards and take a drop or you can go back uh to where, to where you previously played from and um, and hit a shot uh, and start all over with the one shot penalty all of these are one shots but it's going to take you one shot to get out of that trouble anyway so if i take a you know if i take an unplayable and i can take two club links and i have a clear swing where i'm not going to have any trees In hindering my swing. I'm better off to do that because if I get under the trees and I try to chop it out of there, um, I may not get out. And guess what? Even if I do get out, it's still taking a shot. So you're, you're not gaining anything. You're taking all that risk and not gaining anything. So go the conservative route, get back in play, and then go from there. And then remember the greatest savior on the golf course is your putter. I can't tell you how many times um, you know, I've made a putt, after making a good decision, it seems like whenever I make good decisions on the course, I follow it up with, you know, good putts and things like that. But whenever I make bad decisions, you get upset, you get angry, get frustrated, and then usually you're not going to putt very well. So uh, the putter can save you, and, um, and and golf is not always a beauty contest. You're not always going to be, you know, hitting great shots. You, you've gotta, you got to learn to play ugly sometimes and just get it in. Uh, however you can and, and go to the next hole.
1: Yeah, and that, that's exactly what I was referring to Nicholas about as well. I mean, uh, you know, obviously he wasn't thinking at it quite that, that way, but essentially what he was talking about um, in, in, in his interviews was that he knew under specific circumstances that this was not going to um, be a great hole. Now, something, you know, if he pulled one off, maybe hold out from the fairway or got it closer than he expected, then, you know, miraculous things happened. But um, he knew under certain circumstances that the risks were too high. So he was prepared, in, in a sense, to take his medicine. He knew that, okay, if I walk away with a par, I'm going to be pretty happy. If you got a bogey, he obviously would be disappointed. But it was to be expected that he's not going to score as well on certain uh, holes and certain uh, conditions. Certain shots were more difficult for him. Um, so even the best players recognize that and i think as you become a more proficient player uh notice how i said player not golfer uh then you will start to understand that and people that have played for a lot of times uh long years like you know some of our more senior golfers they kind of know that you know they're they know their their ability is not going to get a whole lot better they're hitting the ball as well as they're going to hit it maybe they're 65 70 years old uh, the distance they might get a little bit here and there, but it's essentially the same. But they know where their misses are. They know how far they can hit each of their their uh, clubs, uh, and they know likelihood if they get within a certain distance from the green or from the hole, whether or not the likelihood or the percentages that they're going to be successful with that putt. So, uh, again, knowing that uh, and being willing to take me- your medicine when uh, things are not when you're not playing your best. Uh, on that game, like I said the earlier, the B or C game comes out uh, and rears its ugly head, that's okay. You play with what you got. Now, this is one here, number nine. Uh, this is really something that I would ratchet up to the more advanced players because this is something that I, I guarantee is going to be most uh, over the majority of our high handicappers' heads. Not saying that they, they don't factor this in, but they're not going to be as proficient as our better players, and that is is to be able to improve your golf IQ. And What I mean by that is some of the best players in the world they know exactly uh, how a degree of air temperature can change uh, and affect the distance of the ball, both carry and roll. Uh, they're also great at uh, being able to judge wind speed, and they know exactly how much each mile per hour of wind speed will affect the distance. They also um, understand when the conditions are wet, uh, measuring the distance change uh, again as well. So. I personally, and this goes into some of the equipment we talked about earlier, I'm going to get your thoughts first, uh, and you may want to expand on that. But I think these are things for our more advanced players that you really have to have a good understanding, uh, and there's really only a couple of ways of doing that. I'm going to get your thoughts, and I'm going to throw my thoughts in there at the end.
2: Well, I, I do think that there's some things that even for the high handicappers out there that some information that will really help you. Number one is temperature. You know, I can tell you, I can promise you, I don't care whether you're a tour player or a beginner, if you're playing in 50-degree weather, the ball is not going to go as far as if you're playing in 85-degree weather. So you need to right. understand that when you're hitting your approach shots. The ball will simply – I had a student here in Columbus. We have an out, indoor-outdoor facility, and so I can teach lessons in in 30-degree weather. Uh, with heaters and everything, and I've I've given many lessons in, in under those conditions. The student who just was adamant that he can hit his wedge to the certain pin out there normally, and he just could not understand why it wasn't going as far, and I said, well, you have to understand it's like 18 degrees outside. The ball's not going to go as far. Uh, so, you right. know, that temperature... You know, the average golfer, no one's going to be playing in that kind of, you know, you're not going to be playing in, in temperatures sure. that low. But when, when you start getting, but a lot of people play in the in the spring and the late fall, they're going to be playing in 50, 55 degree weather. And I've seen it where, you know, when you're playing in, in the winter down in Florida, and the winter is one of my favorite times to play golf down in Florida. But you can tee off, and, and it could be 70 degrees when, you know, when you're hitting balls at 1 o'clock or 12 o'clock on the range and by the time the sun starts setting, remember in the winter it sets early, it gets cooler and the temperature drops down, your ball in those last few holes is not going to go as far. So temperature is something. Wind is another thing. You don't have to be a tour player to understand that when the wind is in your face, you need to take more club. When the wind is behind you, you take less club. And I think there's a lot of people that do not factor that in, especially the Mm -hmm. high handicappers. The tour players are taking that to... They, they can dial they, – they're telling themselves, well, the, there's a, there's a five-mile-an-hour wind in my face. Um, it's normally 120. I'm going to play this 130. So they're adding – you know, they may add four or five yards to to their distance in their mind. So tell their, they, they try to tell themselves they have a certain distance, even though physically they don't have 130 yards. But factoring in the right. wind, they equate it to a number. They don't just say, I'm going to hit it harder. They, don't, they never say that. But what they'll do is they may take another club, but they don't say, I'm going to hit it harder. I'm going to take and make the normal swing I do. I'm just going to change clubs. So the, 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 these are things that the average golfer can apply to their game. And for, the, for those that are really, really elite players, you know, elevation has a lot to do with it as well. If you're playing golf in mm-hmm. the mountains, you're going to get more distance out of your shots than if you're playing golf at the coast because of the humidity and the air. So uh, these are things that you can find. And, and it's really interesting because a lot of the launch monitors now will allow you to do that. You can make the adjustments. Ricky Fowler was going to play in the Olympics, and um, and he was he contacted the headquarters in FlightScope, and he says, you know, I've got the elevation set up for, tw- for 12,000 feet, and it's saying I'm hitting my 7-iron 212 yards. Yeah, uh, is, is that really correct? And they said, Well, if that's what it says, that's what it is. And so then he went to, to to Mexico. He went there and he and he played at the elevation. And he called him up and he said the flight scope was off. It was off a uh, or the foresight. Excuse me, it was foresight. He said it was off a yard. Uh, so I, I, the the guys for foresight were <laughs> doing a presentation to our section, and I thought that was a great a great story. But uh, if you have access to the simulators, that you can change the elevation if you're going on vacation and you're going to the beach and you live out in Colorado, Colorado or you're going to Colorado and you live on the beach. You can set those elevation changes to know how far each club goes.
1: Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, um, I had a gentleman years ago ask me, he said, you know, how can I get, you know, 10, 15, 20 extra yards? And I said, well, move to Arizona. Um, I said you'll get a little bit further that's a part, because that that's very. Right. <laughs> and I told him, yeah. and of course he laughed. But you know, but it's true. Uh, you know, if you are in a warmer climate, um, you're going to get more carry. Also, playing, uh, you know, again, if you're playing in a cooler condition, changing uh, what golf ball you play can make a, a difference a little bit. Now, certainly, I'm not saying you're going to get all those yards back, but that can help a little bit. Um, so. A lot of these things, you know, playing in wet conditions, understanding. And and what I would recommend, based on what we've been talking about here, you know, we're mentioning the launch monitors and and so forth, is I would certainly, at the beginning of the season, so, you know, in spring, I would go through every club in the bag, kind of get, you know, when it's a little bit cooler, uh, get the distances. Um, You might have some wet conditions. I'm not saying go out there when it's thunder and lightning, but if you've had a, a light rain happen, get out there and measure if you've got access, again, to, to uh, this equipment, whether it be through the Pro or on your own. Some of the mobile launch monitors are quite uh, reasonably priced now. Uh, get out there and know your distances under those conditions. Then do the same thing when it gets into the summer uh, and you've got hotter conditions. Maybe go through uh, them again because you're going to notice a difference. And then the same thing even in the fall. The fall tends to be a little bit cooler Um, and uh, you're going to, again, so maybe two or three times a year I would try to get those numbers for those clubs um, because, uh, again, and also conditions. Again, you know, play in in wet conditions. If you've got high humidity, um, you know, go out and practice on a day. I know it might suck a little bit, but, you know, if it's humid one day, get out there and hit some balls and see how it reacts. Another day when it's a little bit cooler and the the air is heavy with a lot of moisture, not from humidity, but from rain uh, in the past, uh, again, that's going to affect uh, ball flight as well. So it's good to know that stuff because a lot of times you're going to be faced with those conditions. And it's like you said, John, you know, you get out there thinking you're going to hit the ball a certain distance and you might pull off a really good shot. But because of the, the environmental surroundings, um, you're not getting what you think you are. And then, then you become frustrated and you start, as you say, stepping on it. Uh, are trying to be more aggressive, thinking, well, maybe I need to swing harder. That was the problem, and then you start throwing off all of the the uh, you know normal things that you need to be doing. Uh, get out of kilter your tempo, your timing get gets off, and it just doesn't make um, you know for for good uh, for good golf. And, and the last one, which is something, is more of a, a challenge, if you will, and that is to in addition to keeping score, score your rounds by factors such as your course strategy. So. Um, you know, you might want to put down some process goals. So, an example: full shot, short game, and putting. Um, and, and here's just some examples. You might want to, uh, for a full shot, you know, uh, have a clear target. Where are you going? Uh, number two would be visualizing that. Number three would be breathe. You know, make sure you're breathing properly, uh, taking good deep breaths and, and the comfortable breathing. And then, obviously, committing to that shot. So, these are some things. That's just I'm going to give. I'm not going to do all three of them, but uh, so you want to do that. And then you kind of keep score on how you feel under each condition, uh, you know, rate it from, you know, one to five, let's say, as an example, uh, on each of those areas, how you felt you did. Did you reach your target, as an example? Did you visualize the shot, you know, your breathing? Did you commit to to what you did? And then add that process score up as well as your actual score and then work out the percentage of how close you were to your actual score uh, in the process. So that's just a sort of a, a thing, and, and you may have something different that you try to do, but I think it's important to keep not just statistics of how far we're hitting things as we've talked about, but I think it's also the process as well and the strategy, keeping some good notes, and don't have to be long-winded, but just some good notes that you can refer to uh, from time to time just to give yourself a better all uh, assessment of what you need to do when you get out there on the golf course. What are your final thoughts here?
2: Well, I think those are great points, Ted. You know, um, most people think that all I need to do is take a lesson, I fix my grip or fix my swing, and, and that's going to solve all my problems. Then they go out on the golf course and they, and they actually hit some nice shots, but their scores don't get any better because they don't understand that learning how to do it on a driving range is the first step The second step is learning how to do it on the golf course, which is just as difficult as learning how to do it on the driving range. And then the third Mm -hmm. and final step is learning how to do it under tournament pressure, which tournament pressure for the average person out there might be the member guest. Um, You know, it's not the masters, but the nerves that you feel at the member guest are the same nerves that a tour player feels when they're playing in an event. Nerves are nerves. So learning how to do, you know, to learn these steps is very critical. And no one ever talks about their course management. I I never get students, that they, they never come to me, they always describe why they had a bad round. I had a bad round because I shanked it, or I had a bad round because I couldn't hit my driver straight. But they never talk about the mistakes that they make on the golf course, is choosing the wrong club or keying up on the wrong side of the tee box or, or laying up too close to the green, things like that. They never say that. And so uh, if I go out and just watch the average golfer, I see so many mistakes that have nothing to do with the golf swing, have everything to do with course management. I make them myself. And What I always say is I, I, I'm, I can accept making the mistake. I have no, I'm going to make mistakes on the golf course. We just don't want to repeat those mistakes. So if you get on a hole and you go, wow, man, I should not have hit that club on that par three. I'm never going to do that again. Make a mental note to yourself. Write a – keep a journal, you know, especially if you're playing the same golf course over and over again. Keep your own yardage book. If you don't have a yardage book, go out and buy a little organizer and draw every green on every hole that you have. Take notes every time you play. put notes down about the hole, like where you laid up, where you had the most success, when the pin was on the front, what yardage that you had coming in. Things like that will really help you if you're playing a golf course over and over again because the more you understand that golf course, and I always said your home course needs to be a home course advantage so that when you go there and play with your friends, you've got a home course advantage. And I think if you play smarter, you're definitely going to enjoy the game more.
1: Yeah, and I think that old saying, you know, the definition of insanity is to go out and do the same things over time and time again, but expecting a different outcome. So, you know, by doing what you're suggesting there is keeping sort of stats and track of, of you know, each of the holes, especially, as you said, if you're playing a, a course with any sort of uh, frequency, is, you know, if, if as as an example, hole one, if you're hitting a driver and you're bombing it down there, but it, as you found out this particular round, that was not the best strategy Um, But then the very next time you go out there, you do the exact same thing again. Well, that doesn't make any sense. So what you want to do is you want to sort of map out each hole before you play. And you say, okay, based on my experiences, if I don't want to hit driver off this hole or I don't want to try to go over the water here, I want to try to lay up or, or whatever it is that you're going to do, whatever the strategy is. And then you follow that. And I think if you if you develop a, a, an on-course strategy, you know, one of the interesting things, and a lot of people really miss this, and we actually had a young lady on Tuesday on the Women of Golf on the other show that I do Tuesday mornings. And she just won the uh, Epson Tour event um, here this uh, this past Labor Day weekend. And one of the interesting things that she talked about was the fact that, you know, she really likes playing courses that she's played before because she understands what it is she needs to do, because she's made those notes, as you said, from past times, past years playing on those particular uh, golf courses, that she knows where all the trouble is. She knows where she needs to lay up and where, can, where she can go for it. And there's a lot of people that have been playing their same members club for, you know, 5, 10, 15, maybe 20-plus years that still haven't figured out their strategy, and they keep going out and doing the same thing. So I think understanding and developing a strategy Um, and when you go out and play, make notes, what worked, what didn't work, and I don't mean just hitting a bad golf shot. I'm talking about the actual strategy, um, deciding what you need to play and when um, can make a world of difference, and I think you'd be surprised at how much better people would score if they went in with a bit of a strategy. Do you think Nicholas ever went into Augusta National without having some sort of strategy? No, of course not. He knew exactly, I mean, he played that course for years, the Augusta National at the Masters, and that's why he won uh, six green jackets, is he knew how to play that golf course. He knew exactly what shots he could get away with and what shots he needed to be more conservative with. And that's the difference between, uh, you know, the better players and the ones that are struggling to, to break 100. Final thoughts?
2: Well, I couldn't agree more with you, Ted. I mean, the the you know, Nicholas was the... Was that was probably I think his greatest strength is his course management and his mental approach. He he always said that the majors were easy to win because half the field would throw themselves out the first day because they would try stuff that you know at the U.S. Open and the Masters and the other tournaments. Uh, the majors where they they would try to try risky shots early on and 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 a, a lot of people are going to fail when you do that because whenever you try a shot that you're not comfortable with. You get nervous, you, you, start, uh, you start pressing, you start swinging the way – you don't swing the way you do on the driving range. You, you, you right. start swinging like, – it's like you turn into another person. And so uh, being conservative for the average golfer is the way to go on the golf course.
1: Yep, and, and you can easily put yourself out of a tournament by doing what you said early on. Um, there's a lot of guys that don't even make the cut because of that very reason. They're not even in on the weekend – because they 've taken unnecessary risks, and I think what you find now sometimes you can get away with it there's sometimes the you know the winds are, are blowing in your direction, and you can get away with it. Um, but when you 're competing against players that are at the top level of their game, you cannot afford to make mistakes, certainly intentionally I mean obviously things happen you know some uh, uh, golf shots don 't always come off the way you want, but if you 're making and, and we 've seen how many countless players over time have made poor mistakes and just didn 't uh you know end up finishing the tournament very well because they they tried to do something that was just not uh conducive to for them winning the tournament but um well John, I want to thank you for for joining me. I think it was a, a good uh robust discussion. I think a lot of people get some uh, some good meat from them off the bone on those um, but uh, as always, give you a uh, a moment or two here to uh, let the folks know if they want to reach out.
2: Well, Ted, first of all, thank you again for the opportunity to be on your show. Um, I love being on the Coach's Corner every every month and um, being, a, being part of the panel. And, um, it, it's just an honor, and, and it's great that you give us this platform. Uh, for the listeners out there, if um, you wanted the simplest way to get in touch with me is you can go on uh, my website, DeckerGolf.com, um, DeckerGolf.com if you go on there. I've got all of my videos. I've got videos on full swing, short game, putting, chipping, pitching, bunker. I've got videos on golf fitness, course management. Some of the things that we've talked about tonight uh, are on that, uh, videos are on there. Uh, you can also reach me on social media on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Um, if you go under and put in John Decker and I spell my first name J O N. Um, I also, um, uh, if you weren't interested in my book, Golf Is My Life, glorifying God through the game, that book is available at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, and Walmart websites. Uh, if you go to any of those, you can you can find the book. Um, and my audio book is available. It's the the Golf Is My Life, glorifying God through the game is also available in audio book and that's on iTunes and Amazon Audible uh, you can download the book and and uh it's a great way to to listen to the book and for those of you who like that format. Um and then the, the um the Golf Tips magazine being a part of this, uh, the of the staff and being a senior editor. Um again Ted I want to thank you for this uh the privilege of being able to write for your magazine. Uh but my feature Fairways to Heaven is in, in that and and I'm real excited about the feedback we've gotten from that um, and also do instructional articles for the magazine. So that's something that uh, has been real exciting. And if you're interested in a public speaker, if you're, I, I really am trying to, my niche is to try to find, uh, if you have a golf event and maybe you're looking for a speaker after the event, um, you know, like a charity event or something along those lines, uh, I'm available and I can come in. I can do instructional clinic as well do speaking, so the combination of teaching golf and doing some uh, faith-based speaking uh, if necessary or just public speaking, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to come to your area and and, uh, and meet you and, um, and present to your group. But again, Ted, thank you for the uh, privilege being on your show, and uh, I look forward to next month. All right. Thank you, John. Have a great weekend,
1: and we'll see you next time on the Coach's Corner panel. Thanks, and have a great weekend. All right, it was John Decker. Uh, Join me on the Coach's Corner panel, and uh, hopefully you uh, learned some stuff uh, through tonight's discussion. Um, we're going to take a very quick break, and then hopefully we'll be joined by tonight's special guest, John Gowdy, the National Programs Director of the Course
0: Foundation. We'll be right back. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game golf tips the most in-depth magazine in the industry for over 30 years golf tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from america's top pros simple to follow practice and game improvement drills fitness and mental game tips equipment training aids accessory and apparel reviews golf destinations and travel tips for every budget and so much more don't miss a single issue go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today all right, and uh, again, if you go to golftipsmag.com, you'll find
1: a couple of options there. You can uh, either subscribe to the print version only, uh, the digital version only, or you can print, uh, uh, sorry, subscribe to uh, both uh, print and digital. Some people like to have both. They can leave the print copy at home, and, and when they're on the road, uh, uh, many people take uh, have a tablet or, or even a, a, an iPhone or something. and. Uh, they can actually bring up the digital version and, and get some good information uh, uh, while they're traveling and, and on vacation. So a couple of great options, and it's very, very affordable. There's six issues uh, per season. Uh, we just finished wrapping up uh, our 2022 season. Uh, in the next uh, several weeks, you will see the November December issue of Golf Tips, which is, of course, the final issue. and uh, It'll be coming out, and we'll have this year's uh, holiday gift guide full of a lot of goodies of, of uh, for those golfers out there that want to uh, beef up uh, their equipment or uh, find some other uh, technology maybe that they haven't gotten yet, some of the stuff that we talked about tonight, uh, they can purchase that uh, and get some good information, insight uh, through the holiday gift guide. So that's always a favorite from the subscribers. Uh, but again, if you want to subscribe, go to golftipsmag.com and uh, you can get uh, a copy at Barnes & Noble, Books a Million, and we're any other uh, book, uh, newspen, if uh if you will. If you don't want to subscribe quite yet, you can go and pick up a copy there and check it out and uh, and subscribe at any point. Uh, as I mentioned, we're just waiting uh, for John Gowdy to join us. Uh, hopefully, he'll be uh, coming along shortly. Uh, but um, I'm going to read a little bit out uh, on him. And uh, when he comes on, then we'll just bring him right on. So, uh, as I mentioned, he is the National Programs Director of the On Course Foundation. Uh, he's also a veteran, and while serving in the army in Afghanistan, uh, John was a victim of uh, several gunshot wounds uh, through his chest and shoulder. Uh, to put it bluntly, uh, the pain obviously was excruciating. Excruciating, excuse me. Uh, he lost his left leg, and uh, lifting his right arm uh, was impossible. Uh, after several trips to the operating room, uh, replaced his fighting for freedom uh, on the front lines. Uh, obviously understandable. As I mentioned, he's now the National Programs Director of OnCourse Foundation, uh, helping injured vets getting a better educational and physical headspace, uh, just like the organization that helped him. Um, they've got a great vision, and uh, hopefully we're going to get a chance uh, when he comes on uh, to be able to talk about some of the things that they're doing and how it helped him and how it can help uh, many of the veterans out there uh, that maybe uh, been struggling since they've come back off of, uh, of duty. So uh, we'll just, as I said, we'll just wait for for uh, John here. We'll give him uh, a little bit more time. Uh, hopefully uh, he'll be here shortly, and uh, we'll be able to to uh, start our discussion. Uh, don't forget to join me. Um, just give a little bit more information on the shows. Uh, Golf Talk Live, as you know, is every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the BlogTalkRadio.com network. If for some reason. Uh, you're not able to join us live if you go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash live and scroll down to the on-demand section, uh, you can see all of the previously aired shows. Tonight's show will be there a little bit later on after it's uh, completed airing. Uh, the recorded version will come up there, uh, but you can also go ahead and check all of the previously aired shows uh, and listen to them in their entirety there. Um, but uh, obviously, it's good to, to join us live because you get to hear... Uh, a lively discussion, and, and uh, but we understand that sometimes folks have to pick the show up whenever it's convenient for them. Also, on Tuesday mornings, I do another show uh, with my good friend and co-host, LPJ professional and Legends Tour player, Cindy Miller. Uh, we do that called the Women of Golf, and that's from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern on the same network, blogtalkradio.com, this time forward slash women of golf. Uh, some of the interesting things, uh, in addition to many women uh, and men that have helped elevate women's golf, uh, we have the pleasure of interviewing many of the Epson Tour players uh, on Tuesday mornings. Uh, we're always excited to have them on. We just had a, a young lady here just this past Tuesday who won the uh, most recent Epson Tour event, and she's on to the next one in a week's uh, time, not this week coming up, but the week after. Uh, they're going to be heading to Prattville, Alabama, playing on one of the Robert, Tr- Robert Trent Jones uh, golf courses, which is part of the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail in Alabama. Uh, great courses, and uh, so it's sure to be some uh, interesting uh, event. and uh, they're getting ready. I think they're hitting their last um, few events. I think they've got uh, three or four events left. The last one will be in um, uh, Florida, which will be in Daytona at the LPGA uh, International Golf Course uh will be playing the uh, Epson Tour Championship. So hopefully um, they will be able to uh close out uh, a successful season. Many of them are trying to earn their permanent uh, LPGA cards. Uh, I believe the top 10 move on to uh their status. Uh the rest obviously will have to go back to uh qualifying uh school or wait till next year uh back off the Epson Tour and try to again. Uh, But it's always interesting that the young ladies, are. are, uh, most of them are obviously very young and -and up-and-coming stars, and uh, we're always excited to have them on uh, the show. So we're looking forward to uh, seeing who we have next week uh, on the show as well. So uh, while we wait for uh, John, I'm just going to send a quick message and just to see uh, if he's going to be able to make it or not. So just bear with me. All right, so I've just sent him a message, and hopefully uh John will be able to join us sometimes these things happen uh I guess sometimes things come up and and they're unable to uh uh to make the show and if that's the case, we'll certainly um, reschedule and uh, just means we'll end the show a little bit earlier. so I'll give him a few minutes to uh to respond and uh and see if he's uh caught uh maybe in some traffic or something and is not able to. Uh, uh, or doesn't uh, be able to get to his phone on time, but um, but anyways, uh, going back to the women of golf. So one of the things that's always really interesting and challenging uh, for these young ladies, as many of them have talked about, uh, on the Epson Tour, of course, it's uh, one of the what they call or uh, the sort of step up or feeder tours. And what's always interesting is um, many of the players, not all of them, but many of them have come out of college and uh, when they hit the tour and they're used to a coach or uh... you know or assistant coaches that sort of help uh, with traveling and and uh... organizing all of the uh... the events for them because they're they're playing on as part of a team this time but once they get out on tour in the case of the epson and obviously lbj and i'll mention that in a minute um the now they're having to sort of create their own schedule and um so it's a it's a whole different, as I say, kettle of fish because now that the young ladies have to uh, book their own hotels, uh, you know have to arrange for car rentals uh, in some cases, if they're uh, you know um, able to take flights, they'll take flights uh, depending on where they're going, but again, that's an added cost. Um, so they try their best to do a lot of different things to um, get things going, but uh, it makes it difficult because sometimes they only have you know, a day to get to the next event. Um, you know, if they're playing in California now, maybe they're going to Michigan, you know, they've got a, a pretty good little trek. Now, I will say that the, uh, the LPGA has done a really good job uh, with the Epson Tour uh, in scheduling to try and make it easier so they're not going from one side of the country to the other. Um, and uh, one of the issues that they had a few years back, um, this is pre-COVID, was with their scheduling. Uh, I remember one season they had, I think, seven or eight events back-to-back, and it made it very, very difficult for a lot of players. It was just a little bit too much. So I think now they typically they might play three events at the most in a row. Then they'll take a week, sometimes two weeks, depending on what's break, and then they'll come back out it for a couple of events and then maybe take another break. So they've seemed to work it out. They play, I believe, twenty events a year. And one of the really uh, great things um, that Epson has done. Uh, this is of course their first year out of a five-year uh, agreement with the LPGA is they have um, really stepped up in, in a number of ways. Uh, first and foremost, uh, they've increased the purses uh, all the way around for all of the events. They've beefed up the, uh, the purse money, so uh, these young ladies have an opportunity to make a little bit more, more money. And, and obviously, they're not making as much uh, as some of their counterparts out in the LPGA Tour, which is sort of the big stage for women's golf. And um, so you know, they can use those extra dollars. The other thing that's helped them is on the other end is the entry fees. They've lowered those down, I think about 10%, maybe a little bit more, uh, so that some of the cost getting into these events for them to play is a little bit less as well. So that also helps them, uh, you know, because these young ladies obviously have to budge a little bit more aggressively than some of the regular uh, players on the LPJ who are playing for much larger purses and and even the players that don't you don't necessarily finish in the top 10 or making a little bit more money. Of course, their expenses are higher, but uh, they're making a little bit better money. And usually by then, most of the players, by the time they get out in the LPGA, uh, have uh, garnered some, some pretty good sponsors um, that have helped put some of the bills, so that they can breathe a little bit easier. But um, I know for some of the Epson Tour players in the past, it's been a little bit uh, challenging for them having to you know, now sort of do their own thing and uh, and get the schedule uh, down such. And, uh, you know, for the rookies that come out, uh, fortunately, uh, despite being competitive among one another, uh, some of the more seasoned players that have been out on the Epson tour, uh, you know, for multiple years um, are very gracious in helping these young ladies uh, sort of navigate their rookie year. So it's really nice. The, the uh, you know, fellow uh, women players on the tours uh, are very, very helpful. Now, they might... Get out on the golf course and, you know, figuratively speaking, want to beat each other's brains out. Uh, but when it comes to uh, some good old-fashioned hospitality and uh, and and friendliness and and willing to help, um, you you won't find a better organization than the LPGA. And um, it's uh, it, it's a good feeling, and that's why so many of these young girls uh, are are thriving. It's not just the golf itself, but it's just the the, uh, the camaraderie and uh, and so forth that many of them phil uh, and and a lot of them have also said that they uh, have had many uh lifelong friends that they have made over the years uh, and still to this day I mean I can think of many of the legends of the game like Nancy Lopez and uh, some of the others that have played for many many years and as they 're you know slowly winding down their careers they 're still friends um, uh, you know they uh, they are um, having to um, you know they have to uh deal with whatever they have to deal with and um they're able to I'm just responding to John sorry he just sent me a message they were having a a little bit of an issue on his end but anyway some of the the uh, you know more seasoned uh, members of the LPJ have made friends for for years and to this day they're still friends so um you know it's uh it, it's one of those things that um it's it's really for a lifetime it's not just about playing some great golf and some great uh let me I'm just I apologize I think uh we may be rescheduling let me just find out here um so you know it's it's a great organization the LPJ uh, the Epson tour, as I mentioned, has really stepped up this year. I know they've been very, very excited. Uh, we actually featured them uh, in our latest uh, or uh, September-October, excuse me, issue of Golf Tips magazine. And actually, uh, the CEO of Epson America, um, Keith Kratzberg, actually put together a great article uh, as the featured article of this past issue, um, and it's still available on newsstands or. Uh, you can certainly subscribe, and we can make sure you get a copy of it. But it's uh, really, really good. They're very, very excited. Uh, I know that uh, uh, Seiko Epson in Japan uh, was really, really excited about uh, coming on board as the title and principal sponsor of the tour, or uh, the tour sponsor actually. Uh, and uh, I think that um, I think that they've just done a great job. And I know that they're looking forward over the next uh, several years. Uh, as they get ready to wind down this year. um, They're looking forward to even a better season next year. And they've come in developing uh, uh, really right from the get-go last season. They uh, presented uh, and made 10, as they call them, uh, Epson Tour Ambassadors, um, which uh, comes with a number of uh, different perks, of course. But they're able to um, not only, obviously, advance their game, uh, but they have uh, some other goodies, if you will, that Epson has provided as sort of a perk, if you will. So um, it looks like, and I'm just waiting for confirmation, I apologize, but uh, it looks like we may have to reschedule John uh, for another evening. Uh, yeah, as I thought, we're going to have to uh, to reschedule. He's having a... a uh, personal issue that he's having to deal with uh, so he certainly sends his apologies so uh, my apologies to you I will uh, endeavor to get him rescheduled as soon as possible um, and for those of you that uh, saw the posting through social media and we're hoping to hear John uh, talk tonight unfortunately it uh, looks like we're going to have to cancel uh, but I will reschedule but uh, on that note um, I look forward to you joining me next week uh, we will have a, a really good guest next week as well and another Uh, group on the coaches corner panel hope you'll join me and again my apologies for this evening Um, but that happens sometimes in in our business and uh, we'll as i said endeavor to get john uh, on the program as quickly as we can but on that note have a great weekend everybody god bless and thank you for tuning into golf talk live we'll see you next week
0: thanks for joining us we hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of golf talk live We'd like to thank this week's Coaches Corner Panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.